We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now. Leave a message. They will return your call. 905-529-7165. Take a peek at the website, Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask questions there via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Happy hey, New Year. Good morning, Happy Scott. New Year, Happy Scott. New Year to you. Good to see you all. Uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, have you made any? or are we going to concentrate on tax savings as a New Year's resolution? <laughs> or well, maybe kind of, both. Yeah, well, there you, you go. You never know. You <laughs> never it. know. Well, it's kind of funny. My grandfather once told me that nearly half the population make New Year's resolutions in about half of all the years, and about one-third of those people will keep approximately two-thirds of their resolutions every other year. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that mean? None? <laughs> Basically, not a lot. Yeah. Everything's rude. When it comes to resolutions, a lot of people make them, Yeah. and they really want to, you know, change their life a little bit there you go yeah and then then of course you hope and you hear most people don't make them but it's kind of interesting as it turns out um they did a study and 46 percent of participants participants who make resolutions are likely to succeed yeah it's about 10 times if they make it at new year's if they make a new year's as a fresh resolution not in june or your birthday or Ah. whatever if you make it sometime else during the rest of the year it's like about five percent right so you're about 10 times more likely to make a change in your life. Mm-hmm. So being financial planners, we thought, well, why don't we do a, a tax-saving resolution this year? There you go. Because you know what? We can't control the markets. We can't do, you know, there's so many up-in-the-air things that we have no control over. Mm-hmm. One thing we do, we have some control over, is tax savings. Is this easier than losing weight? Uh well, oh. it's, you know what? You can automate it, so then you don't even have to think about it. That's right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be good as far as going to the gym? That's right. <laughs> Especially when it's minus 30 out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'll do it. You can't even open the car door. Right? That's right. I laughed. I was, literally, I was at the gym uh, after New Year's, and I'm in the locker room, and some guy's fighting to find space, and he said, so how long do you think this is going to last? Because yeah. everybody, <laughs> said there. the same thing. Everybody's there. January's the worst time to go because it's right. just packed. <laughs> Wait a couple I said, of, give it three weeks. That's right. Everything will be wide open. Right? <laughs> so you get back into your comfort weight again. That's, that's it. right. Remember, fifty-four <laughs> percent of those resolutions fail. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. So half those people are leaving the gym. That's right. But uh, in, in terms of uh, taxes, there's really five pillars, and these are legal, by the way. There's deducting, deferring, dividing, disguising, and dodging. Mm-hmm. Now. You could argue that dodging might Is dodging sound. legal? Yeah, it depends <laughs> on how you dodge, okay? But the ones we're talking about today are legal. Right. And deducting, very key. And, you know, it's amazing, even more so now than ever, in my opinion, because the tax rates have gone way higher, mm-hmm. okay? On the higher end of the tax rate, um, estate taxes, things such as that, you can pay up to 53.5%. Mm. Personally, I think it should be illegal. Mm-hmm. Once you get, you should not be even allowed to pay more than fifty percent tax. Yeah. Why should you work and give half, more than half your money to the government? So, if there's a way to save tax, I'm all for it. I'm, in fact, be vigilant about this. Make mm-hmm. this a, a big goal. And one of the things is deduct, and if you're trying to find ways to d- have more deductions. And one way is if you're investing your money, uh, particularly on your non-registered investments, make sure that your advisory fees are tax deductible. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's ways to do that because. It, it comes right out for one of the lines of the income tax is a carrying charge, and you can deduct advisory fees. So if you have embedded mutual funds where the fees are embedded and you don't see the fee, you can't deduct it. Yeah. But if it's showing, 
say it's a thousand dollars advisory fee, then that's a tax deduction, and that could save you about f- you know five hundred dollars in income tax. Mm-hmm. Um, so while we're on the subject of investing, if you've got interest, um, you're paying interest on an, some type of loan, and yet you have investments elsewhere, why don't you swap them and make the interest tax deductible? Okay, so you have a twenty thousand dollar car loan, and you got twenty thousand dollars in investments sitting there, and you're paying tax not tax on the dividends or interest that it's making and you're also you're not getting any tax deduction on your car loan well if you cash in your investment pay off the car re-borrow the money and buy a similar investment you have to or buy the same investment but you have to wait 30 days mm-hmm. then you can now deduct the interest okay and it's funny i had this conversation with uh, clients in the past week and and the argument they put forward was well but my why would i sell those investments they're doing so well and I'm only paying, you know, 3% on my debt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and the one thing about when you have non-deductible debt, non-tax deductible debt, that interest is you're paying it in after-tax dollars, mm-hmm. but it's only way to sort of guarantee an absolute positive return. Paying right. off debt is a guaranteed way to create a positive return. There's no guarantee that those investments are going to continue for the next 12 months to right. outperform that, uh, that strategy. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of a guaranteed way to do it. But as Don just mentioned, and the point I made to them was that you're not, you're, you don't have to simply pay off the debt and then that's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. You can then turn around and borrow the money back again and reinvest it into the same investments or similar investments that you had. Uh, and now you can create the interest, uh, a tax deduction for your right. interest. So you don't have to give up the investments just because you're paying off the debt. And uh, the only trick there is that it must be at least 30 days. You have to wait 30 days after you've sold those investments before you can buy them back. Mm -hmm. If you want to uh, claim any losses, uh, the gains would be automatic if they're already in a plus Mm -hmm. position. Absolutely. And and again, they all add up. All these little tax deductions, they add up. They may not seem like on on their own, okay, well, that saves me, I don't know, $100 a year. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? That in conjunction with a lot of other things could Mm -hmm. save you $1,000 or $2,000 a year. And then you add that for 10 years, and now you're up to Mm $20,000. So all these add up, and it's so imperative to try to take advantage of these. One of the other ones I think is most overlooked is employees that work a a lot of the time at home. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of flex hours now. They may have an office. They have expenses at home. And uh, a lot of people aren't aware of the T2200 form. Mm -hmm. And all it is is getting the employer to sign that, that yes, you are doing this work at home and therefore you get to write off, you know, part of your property taxes, part Mm -hmm. of your hydro costs. And you got a dedicated space that you do work at home. Mm -hmm. And it's it's not, you know. That doesn't always work though, right? If you're you're an employee or in certain situations that does or does not work. You have to apply for it and see if it works. But if it does work, why not? There's no harm in trying. Mm -hmm. There is harm in not trying. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So uh, I've always say try to be aggressive and and attempt to get it. And the same thing goes with say a disability deduction. Um, I find so many seniors, it's usually seniors, so it doesn't have to be seniors, but they have an ailment and they should qualify for the disability deduction, and they just simply need to take that form to their doctor mm-hmm. and apply. And the doctor has to fill this in, and they've, they're used to doing this. They do it all the time. They send that to um, the CRA, and you'll get yes or no. Yeah. But even if you get no, try again another year. Yeah. Because they may yeah. say yes another time. Yeah. I know I've heard that a lot. Well, I tried that before, and they said no. 
or my doctor wouldn't sign it. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, then you're, you really, what you should do is get a second opinion. Mm-hmm. So go and see a different doctor about your situation and absolutely a try again if, mm-hmm. if, if you've been rejected by CRA because, uh, and that's, I think the count on that is a certain number of people just throw in the hat and say, absolutely. oh, forget yeah. it. I won't yeah. worry about it yeah. because it's too much hassle. Mm-hmm. So, And one of the other ones I do find overlooked, and this is kind of one I find perhaps accountants um, are, are so used to telling clients, you know, defer the taxes. And when they say defer, they're often talking with the RSPs, wait till 71 to start taking your RSPs. Mm-hmm. Well, I totally agree in a lot of cases, not all. Okay, sometimes it makes sense to pay the taxes early in the RSPs, but there's that $2,000 pension credit that everybody's entitled to. So if you don't have a defined benefit plan through some source, whether you're a teacher, a nurse, um, something like, uh, you know, a Stelco pension, what have you, where you're getting a defined amount per, y- per year from a pension, you, you're entitled to start getting this $2,000 of, of RIF income, has to be RIF income, can't just cash in 2000 from your RSPs, every year starting at 65. And both you and your spouse at, spouse at 65 are entitled to get this. So that's $4,000 a year, tax-free basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's, and again, you know, you multiply that by the seven years if you wait until 71, and, and really what happens, you, you can convert your RSP to a RIF at 71, have the first payment at age 72. Yeah. So you're missing out on seven years times four. It's $28,000 of RSP income or RIF income that is tax-free or virtually tax-free. It depends on tax bracket you're in, but at least it's a tax credit. Mm-hmm. So you certainly get a, 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 a far lower tax rate on that. Well, deferring is obviously something that people, as accountants, always talk about. And deferring in terms of RSPs, you know, too many times people will pull money out of their RSP because Mm -hmm. they need it for a vacation or buying a car or buying, you know, house stuff. And so they end up paying the tax on it. Well, if you can defer, just as an example, if you could earn 4% on that RSP money inside your plan, uh, if you had to pay $100 in tax... And you, instead of paying it today, you paid it in 10 years time, then the, basically the true cost of that tax bill, uh, would be $68 in today's dollars. So if you can defer paying a hundred dollars of tax for 10 years and that money grows at 4%, the real cost of that tax 10 years from now is only 68 bucks instead mm. of a hundred. Mm. So deferring is certainly an important strategy. But uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, using it strategically mm-hmm. uh, versus what Don was suggesting in right. terms of taking money out. Yeah, and same with uh, when you're talking about deferring capital gains is, is mm-hmm. the best example of deferring tax. So if you have an investment that is just simply growing, you're not paying tax on that growth every year until you sell the investment. Right. So you're getting, say, 10 years in, in Andy's example, 10 years of tax-free growth. Mm-hmm. And then you pay tax in the 10th year. Well, it's far better than paying one-tenth of the tax every year for 10 years. Right, right. And uh, so, and a bonus. Sometimes it makes sense. Uh, you know, the company will say, I'll give you a bonus at the end of the year. Like, Can you give it to me in January instead? So that gives mm-hmm. me a full year plus another four months until mm-hmm. April the following year to pay tax on that bonus. Right. I had the same situation this week. Uh, we had a, a plan last year where a client wanted to uh, maximize their tax-free savings account. But that meant, just as Don said, cashing in an investment 
paying tax on the capital gains in 2017 in order to maximize their TFSA. So I said, you know what, we'll do it January 2nd, the first business day of the year, and that defers having to pay tax on those capital gains for a whole nother 14 months. Yeah, mm. absolutely makes yeah. sense. And, and number three is dividing. And this really is income splitting. If there's, it's so much better to have two people making 75,000 than one person earning zero and the other one making 150. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at retirement planning particularly, <clears throat> It's so imperative that you try to income split as much as possible, um, splitting pensions, getting your Canada pension plan split. A lot of people aren't, don't realize that you can't do that on your tax return. You have to actually go to um, Service Canada and get that split at source. Hmm. So, you know, if your spouse has got $100 a month and you've got $900 a month in Canada pension plan, that way you'll both get $500 a month if you split it. Well, that could make the difference of half of, you know, one of the spouse being in a higher tax bracket and one being a lower bracket. This way you're both in the lower bracket. Right. So dividing is is such a great way to save tax. I've got another example of that. Okay. Well, yeah, we were talking about, uh, again, uh, a situation where um, the one spouse who had very high income, 250000 and the other spouse had income of only 100000 Well, in order to shift income from one to the other, you can't just, it's very difficult to do it. But the strategy would be that the high income earner should always pay for everything. Mm -hmm. So whatever yeah. expenses there are in the home, the mortgage payments, everything should come out of the high income earner's income. And any money that's saved should be saved under the low income earner's uh, name. Mm -hmm. And that way you're paying tax at their lowest rate on any earnings on your investments. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Call now, leave a message. They'll return your call. 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. Check out the website, andyanddon.com. As well, you can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. They will return your call. We're talking about making tax savings your New Year's resolution. Yes, and uh, we've already done deduct, deferring, and divide. Mm -hmm. Now we're on to disguising. Right. And disguising is, is not buying a mask. Smoke and mirrors. Oh, it's not that. <laughs> okay. It's basically, if you're, if you're going to have an income, and one income is taxed at a higher rate than another income, why not have the lower income, the same income coming in, yeah. just pay less tax on it? Mm -hmm. And a good example is, uh, we've talked about in the past, about T-series investments, mm -hmm. where you're actually getting an income, but it's your own money being returned to you. And you don't pay tax on your own money. So therefore, you'll have more money to spend or you don't have to take as much from your investments mm -hmm. to get the exact same uh, level of lifestyle. Um, capital gains and dividends, far less on a non-registered basis, yeah. far, far better to get that than their uh, rental income or interest. Mm -hmm. um, so therefore, take a look at the sources of income you're getting. And if you can convert high-taxed income to T-series or capital gains or dividends, fantastic. You'll save yourself at least 50%. Mm -hmm. Now you're looking at it. So an individual, say, making over $92,000, if you're earning interest income, if you earn 100 bucks of interest, you're going to pay $434 of tax. Mm -hmm. If you, if you uh, disguised that $100 of interest and made it into capital gains, then you would only pay $217 of tax. I mean, $1,000 right? of income. Sorry, $1,000. Right, okay. I said, wow, you're paying more tax than you're actually getting here. $1,000 of income, $1,000 of income uh, of interest, you'd pay $434 of tax. If that same $1,000 was earned as a capital gain, $217 of tax. So over $200 savings just by converting to mm. 
capital gains instead of interest. Now, if it was dividends, uh, dividends earned from uh, an investment into um, a company stock, uh, $253. So a little bit higher than the capital gains, but still a much better way to disguise and pay less tax. Yeah, it's a great way to do it. And, and now is the time to do it. You want to do it in January because you... Everybody's always looking for tax deductions at the end of the year so they can uh, change things. It's too late then. Mm -hmm. The year's gone by. But now is the time to make these changes in your investment portfolio so that next year when you're filing your income tax, you're saying, oh boy, glad I did that a year ago. Look at all the tax I'm saving. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally, the last one is dodging. And this is a, you know, these are legal loopholes, okay? And in an example, back in December, we were talking about, you know, if you're self-employed, pay your employee a gift of $500. So if you gave a Christmas bonus, for example, a $500 check, here's your bonus, $500, it's 100% taxable. Mm-hmm. Now, as the employer, you get to write that off, but the employee has to pay tax on that. And depending on their tax bracket, that's what they pay. Mm-hmm. So if they are making, as you know, say, 60 grand a year, 30% of that would go to tax. So on $500, 150 would go to tax, they only get to keep 350. Then they go make a purchase with that money. Mm-hmm. Well, if you actually bought the item, and gave it to them, you can spend fi- up to $500, including taxes, and buy that, say, iWatch, mm-hmm. okay, or whatever it happened to be. And it, as a gift, they don't pay tax as a gift, yet you still get a write-off as the employer. Right. So the exact same outcome comes out of this, except the employee gets to buy the iWatch, okay, mm-hmm. and not, oh, $150 at the end of the day that because was a, of tax. That was a good dodge. That yeah. was a great dodge. <laughs> wow. Actually, because you know, remember there was, uh, back in the end of the year last year, there were the, the Ontario government and the federal government, sorry, was talking about taxing the employee discounts, yeah. right, yeah. as a taxable benefit. Mm-hmm. And uh, and boy, that there was a lot of backlash and pushback and, oh, no, 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 we were, we, we're, we're backing away from all that. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> free donut you're getting, sorry, you That's got right. Tax on that, <laughs> or, or whatever, and Starbucks discounts, and yeah. every, you know, different. And some of them are very minor, but you know, these are all perks that make it fun to be there at mm-hmm. the company. And you know, they all love their every every employee loves to talk about their perks. Yeah, I don't do it for the money, but I love the perks. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, and so and there's a few other dodges low if, on a, on a larger front. Um, consider getting mileage for if you're doing a lot of traveling rather than a car allowance or perhaps a car. Uh, a company car, you have to pay a standby charge. Mm-hmm. So you have to look at all three of those, which is the best for you. And sometimes it's the car allowance, sometimes it's a standby charge, and sometimes it's just paying mileage. Mm-hmm. And mileage, I believe, is, is tax-free, but you may not get enough. Yeah. So you have to look at what's the after-tax benefit of each of those, and that will help you dodge the most tax. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's been a lot of talk about the minimum wage change yes. and and the backlash in terms of our employers taking away benefits, reducing employees. Mm-hmm. You know how are they ad- adapting to this? And um, so it, it was. I just I was curious to see from a tax perspective how does an individual make out from uh, this increase? Mm-hmm. And um, so. In Ontario, you can earn uh, fourteen. Last year, you could earn fourteen thousand eight hundred and twenty-four dollars, right. and pay zero tax. Right. All right. So, in theory, if this was a part-time job, um, at you know twelve bucks an hour or you know thirteen dollars an hour, you probably would have had to work about twenty-five hours a week just mm-hmm. to get to that level. Right. Well, now at fourteen dollars an hour you only have to work about 20.3 hours a week 
to reach that $14,800 threshold. Right. So what's what's actually going to happen, and, and I'm not sure if the Wynn government even thought about this, is that previously people who were working this amount of hours never had to pay tax. Yeah. And now with the increase, if you work the same number of hours, you're actually going to have to pay Ontario tax. Mm. So you're going to increase the revenues that the Ontario government's going to receive as a result of this. So, mm. uh, and for the first time ever, if you were, if you were working that, uh, like a part-time situation, you're actually going to end up having to pay tax at the end of the year. Do you think they'll raise that because they've raised the minimum wage? They'll no. raise that threshold or is that part of the plan? I you think know, we raise their we raise their wage, but we also make I a tax revenue. Don't know how deep they went in terms of analyzing it, but I'm <laughs> guessing that they they're probably looking at each other and going, "Oh, this is a bonus. We're actually going to get more money than we thought as a yeah. result of raising this through through income tax and the Ontario health tax, which also starts to get uh, added on as well. Mm. So maybe one of the options would be to provide some sort of tax relief for the smaller businesses if they're doing this, in fact. Well, it is a tax. I mean, basically all of this is a tax revenue, right? A way Mm. to increase taxes without really increasing taxes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) At the end of the day, they're now paying. Pay people more so they have to get some of their income taxed. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a good way to create some money. Uh, listen, let's, we've been talking about some of the things you should be doing for your income tax for 2018. Let's talk about some of the things you should uh, avoid, the mistakes you should be avoiding in 2018. And I'm going to start off with something really simple. And that's, uh, I think the first mistake is not not creating an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And an emergency fund is the difference between somebody typically having to dip into an RSP, cash in an investment, put money onto a credit card and pay interest, higher, higher interest. And so the discipline of creating that emergency fund is is really a critical goal, I think, for mm-hmm. 2018. So mm-hmm. if there's any way, if you can find it in yourself to set, to set up in a separate account and create it, automate it for a little while just to get that thing built up. Whether you could do 200 a month, 300 a month, 50 bucks a week, whatever it is, set aside into an account that can be your emergency reserve. It's going to give you so much more freedom and choice when that moment comes. Mm-hmm. A car breaks down, an appliance stops working, uh, there's a job loss, you know, whatever it may be. That emergency fund is peace of mind. And I think the emergency fund actually gives people a lot more um, sense of uh, security and it gives them a lot more sense of control yeah. over their life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they were, I was looking at this information and saying that uh, 50, and this is a, a U.S. number, but I'm guessing it's probably not far off out of Canada. 57% of U.S. adults have less than $1,000 in their bank account. 57%. 39% have no savings at all. Nothing. So we're definitely, we know that having an uh, emergency fund uh, is something that people are not prioritizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really just such a simple and basic way to start for 2018. Mm-hmm. All right. Number two mistake, not contributing to your tax advantaged retirement plans. Mm-hmm. So Again, this comes back to automating. Yeah. Are you putting money into an RSP on a regular basis? Are you putting money into a tax-free savings account on a regular basis? If you haven't automated something, you've got to do it. The other one, which is always uh, I, I'm dismayed by, is where people have employee 
uh, matching programs, yeah. whether it's a group RSP, a group TFSA, or a group uh, or a pension plan at work, where the employer is matching fifty cents on your dollar, a dollar on your dollar, uh, and people can't they, they don't seem to be able to find you know I can't afford to put a hundred dollars into that plan because I need the hundred bucks, but I'm giving up the employer's hundred bucks as well, yeah, yeah. and so even at the end of twelve months, if you took out your half back, you'd still probably be in reasonable shape. Mm. And, and, and I've even seen, unfortunately, the people saving on their own, $100 a month as an example, and not using the company plan. Mm-hmm. In which case, they're giving up that. They're actually doing the saving. So they're yeah. doing the right thing. But in that case, go to the employer, use theirs. Mm-hmm. Anytime there's mm-hmm. any matching, even if it's 10% matching, nobody else can guarantee a 10% rate of return. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And and quite mm-hmm. frankly, most of them are about 50% matching or better. Mm-hmm. So if you got a 50% matching, you put in 100, the co- company puts in $50, you will not find a better return than that. Yeah, good point. Third mistake to avoid in 2018 is shying away from stocks. And I'm going to put this into context. I mean, we, we've seen a really good run in stocks for the last couple of years. And nobody can predict, you know, is there going to be, is the bubble going to burst? Is there going to be a correction? Uh, or is it going to just continue on its merry way? The Trump mm-hmm. effect, as many people are calling yeah. it. Um, but when you're looking over the long term and you're beginning to accumulate or you're already in the mid sort of age stage where you're accumulating towards retirement, the difference between how much you're going to have at retirement is staggering. So I'm going to just an example, if you were in saving $500 a month, so 6,000 a year, and if you just decided, you know what, I'm going to be conservative, I'm going to go into a mostly bond portfolio. And if you earned 4% over the time period, uh, you would have saved three, this is over 30 years, you would have saved uh, $336,000. So 4%, 500 a month, 30 years, 336,000. If you notched that up a bit and you went into a moderate aggressive, so stock and bond combination, you would earn about 6%. Now your portfolio is going to be worth 474,000, same amount uh, invested and same time period. And finally, if you went into all stocks, your return would be around 8%. And you'd have six hundred and eighty thousand dollars, almost well, more than double what you would have had mm-hmm. on the conservative uh, situation. So too often, I'll find that I'll look at somebody's um, group savings plan at work, or their group retirement plan at work, or their, um, uh, and they've always a lot of times people will often choose a conservative mix. Mm, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, if you've been with this employer for the last seven years or 10 years, you've given up so much growth Mm -hmm. in this opportunity. Now, if you're two or three years away from retirement, that's a different story. You know, you're, you're past, you're not in the accumulation phase anymore. You've already accumulated it. Now you need to have a more balanced portfolio. But for all the listeners that are still accumulating towards retirement, um, please take a good look at your asset allocation. Make sure you're including stocks, and particularly if you're going to be adding on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, number four mistake for 2018, racking up credit card debt. And this is a phenomenon that I still see where people carry credit card balances into the next month instead of paying it off. And in some cases, they actually have the money available in, in many cases, they have the money available to pay off the credit card. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. It's it's a psychological thing where they somehow think that they're building a stronger relationship with their bank, whether it's for future funding, if they need to borrow money, by leaving that money there. By paying more they're interest. A, they're a yeah. better customer. 
They're a better bank customer by paying interest on their credit card every month. And therefore, if the moment comes and they need a break, that somehow they're going to get special treatment because they've been keeping this credit card balance. Hmm. And And it drives me crazy. (laughs) And I'm telling you, you're not doing anybody any favors here. And they're not going to suddenly come to you with a silver platter because you've been giving them 22% interest on their card for the last 12 months. They're going to be looking at you thinking, well, you're not a good customer because you can't even manage your own money properly. You should have been paying this off on a regular basis. It's the opposite. And you look at that 22%. At 20%, if you've got a $5,000 credit card balance, that's $83 a month. Mm-hmm. And there's people that have a $40,000 credit card balance. Mm. And on 40000 you know, it's $667 a month in interest. Mm. And just to consolidate, like credit cards, the only thing worse than credit cards would be payday loans. Mm. Okay, they're actually worse. But there is a, you know, there is a society, um, a debt consolidation. If you do need some help, you can go to, uh, it's called the Credit Counseling Society. Google that. Um, there's a Hamilton chapter. And they'll literally go through everything for you to try to get you through this credit problem you might have. They'll even negotiate with creditors. And, and to the most part, everything's free. It's a government, it's a, it's a non-for-profit organization. Mm-hmm. If they're doing some debt management program or referring to other services, there may be a cost. But almost everything, there's no cost at all. And I would highly recommend for any of those people that have this massive Christmas debt hangover or just are really struggling, call these people, Google it, and give them a buzz because you, now is the time to do it, 2018. You can see the aver- <clears throat> the number of advertisements about debt fi- debt help, debt financing, debt recovery programs. Like when I'm hearing these on the radio or on yeah. TV a lot, I know that in, in Ontario and in Canada-wide, we know our debt levels are at one of the highest they've been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just on the final piece on this credit card, racking up credit card debt, the other one that annoys me is the small amount. So somebody who leaves 800 bucks, 1000 bucks. It's not much, don't worry exactly. about it. Exactly. Oh, it's only 22 bucks. You know, yeah. I'm paying an extra 22 bucks yeah. of interest or 30 yeah. bucks of interest. Who cares? It's not a big deal. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And uh, when you How's it like it a be, parking ticket for $25 a month? Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. exactly <laughs> it. Uh, so it's those small balances that are actually the ones that seem to be most prevalent where the people just don't pay it off because it's not as mu- it's not that annoying to pay that extra 25 or 30 bucks. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. Check out their website at andyanddon.com. You can ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. You can also listen to old shows there. That's at andyanddon.com. And of course, you can always call and leave a message. They will return your call. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. I'm Scott Thompson along with Andy Lister and Don Fox from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We are planning your financial future. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right, uh, 2017, how economists got it wrong? Oh, they got it wrong. You know, the reason they have economists in the first place because they had to have somebody make astrologists look good. <laughs> <you know? laughs> and here's another case in point. Okay, so, and again, I'm nothing against the banks. They just happen to always have their picks, and, and IG is not in there. So the six major banks, they all went on five major, six major areas. Um, GDP growth, inflation, unemployment rate, the interest rates, um, the Canadian dollar, what our Canadian U.S. dollar would be, mm-hmm. and also oil prices. So you looked at it, and 
at the end of the year, our GDP growth was 2.9%. Not a bad year, mm -hmm. almost three. Well, the banks ranged from 1.8 to two as the highest. So they were off by a, basically a full percentage. Well, that's a lot mm -hmm. well, of, of how the economy is going to grow in a year and you're off by a full percentage. So they, they weren't close on the GDP growth. Right. The inflation rate, everybody thought, well, inflation is going to go higher now. It's going to be it, the range in the banks was 1.8 all the way to 2.5 with RBC said 2.5 and 1.8 was National Bank. Turns out that the interest rates actually dropped. They went down to 1.6. Mm. And I'm uh, sorry, did I say interest rates? I meant inflation. Yeah. Inflation dropped to 1.6. So really inflation was, was a, a, a non-occurrence again mm -hmm. for 2017. Unemployment rate. Um, this one here, which is a great story. Um, most people had, everybody had it at 6.8 or 6.9, all the banks. And it turned out the uh, unemployment rate was 6.4. Hmm. So the economy definitely did better than anybody predicted. And that also is shown by the GDP growth. So then you looked at the interest rates. Well, they were actually very close here. They actually got this one nailed. The 10-year the Treasury bill ranged from 1.69 to 2.04, and it ended up at 1.9 at the end of the year. So mm -hmm. that one they got dead on. Um, the Canadian versus the U.S. dollar. The, uh, the low was uh, 72 cents, and the high was 74 cents. Mm -hmm. This one, they didn't get close. It actually ended up very close to 79 cents at the end of the year, 78.7. Mm -hmm. and, curr and currently... It just got over 80 cents. Yeah, it has jumped up okay. over the odd time, yeah. So they're off by a full half cent on here. So you know what? Um, again, it's so hard to predict. And these are experts. I'm not, you know, nothing wrong with these people. They're, they've taken all the data and everything, and they've tried to come up with what they would assume would be very good logic and why they would end up at these numbers by the end of the year. Oil prices, by the way, they did um, think they're going to be a little higher, anywhere from, I guess, $53. 50 was the low. BMO hit $50. And they and uh, Royal Bank hit 60, end up at 52. Uh, most were on the little higher side, 55 to 60. But again, oil prices were didn't change a whole lot over mm -hmm. the year. Which, if that was the case, you would have thought our Canadian economy wouldn't have done so well. Yeah. So with all that in mind, you think, okay, well, it wouldn't have been a great year for the stock market. And it turns out that it was a very good year for the stock market. U.S was was a big one mm -hmm. us did extremely well in fact they they uh, looked at uh, 15 different different uh, analysts in the us and they expected out of uh, you know looking at all these analysts back at the end of december of a year ago at a 4.5% growth in the in the stock market in the us mm -hmm. it turned out to be just about 20% hmm. so again they weren't really close there and Everybody saw it, all low single digits. We're not going to have a great year. And it turns out Canada was one of the worst years. Hmm. Canada was about 6%. Um, 6% exactly, actually. The best performing area last year was Hong Kong. And interesting enough, if we we're talking a year ago, Canada was one of the best, was the best performing yeah, area. Yeah, last was, year, the year before, rather. Oh, yeah, it was a <clears> fantastic <throat> year, best performing area. And uh, emerging markets... Um, didn't do very well at all. Mm -hmm. Also, they were also a poor performer. As it turns out, emerging markets were one of the highest performing with um, the Hang Sun, the Indian markets, et cetera, did extremely well. Now, everybody only hears about, and maybe it's because of Trump, but only hears about how well the U.S. market's doing. Mm -hmm. It terms, turns, turns out the international markets did great. So German, the German market did 19.4%. Mm. 
when you converted to Canadian dollars. And the Dow Jones was 16 and a half. And the S&P 500, which is a, a larger benchmark, it's 500 companies versus the Dow, which is, I think it's only 50 companies. The S&P 500 only did 11.2%. Mm. So although, hey, I take double digits any day of the week, it still didn't turn out to be as good as being internationally invested or, or even emerging markets. So at the end of the day, what does all this stuff mean to you? Diversify, mm -hmm. okay? Nobody, none of these people know. Nobody can ever guess. And Markowitz said, and he got a Nobel Prize, you know, create an asset allocation and you'll get 85% of the rate of return based on a, an allocation that in, it includes emerging markets, US, international, fixed income, real estate, and, and the Canadian markets also. So you have a very well diversified portfolio. That way you'll end up with a, a good return with, with less risk. Mm -hmm. And so you look at the Canadian markets, and it was kind of funny, a different year, which was the highest performing stock last year? Marijuana? You got it. You got it. <laughs> I Canopy was going to say that growth. or tech. <laughs> Canopy growth was number one at 225% last year. Wow. And That's a, a big one too. And Afria was number two at 199%. So mm. this is number, one, number two and number one in terms of size. And those are the number one. And so as it turned out, healthcare, and I put that in quotations, was the top performing sector mm. in, the t in the Toronto stock market last That's year. That's under healthcare. That falls under healthcare. Really? Yeah, wow. interesting, isn't it? Um, financials did about 9.4. So then the, in the worst performing area was energy stocks did minus 10. So if you're in a U in Canadian area, um, you're in actually real estate from what I would have thought would have done pretty good. It was 5.8%. Definitely you want, you wanted to be in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And again, it was a mirror one of stocks that were driving that. And, uh, and also you look at these stocks that did well, Air Canada was up there. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't long ago that you're bailing out Air Canada. Yeah, that's and true. And they went basically bankrupt and had to restart it. So it's always uh, a crapshoot trying to pick which is the best area every year. The experts, I always love reading a year later to see how they did. Mm. Generally speaking, they don't do that well. And it comes back down to diversify, diversify, diversify. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-521-7165. Uh, sorry, 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And of course, don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. All right, will a CPP be around for the rest of us? Will it be around uh, when we need it? When we, when we retire. Yeah. And uh, well, do you remember when it was created? What year it was created? No. 1966. So you were just a young. I was a babe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so CPP started in 1966, but today 64% of Canadians don't know or don't believe that Canada Pension Plan is going to be there at retirement. They mm. don't know about it or they just don't believe it's going to be there. 64%, which is shocking. Now, you know, having been in this business now for 33 years, I remember the periods where this all started, the discussions about Canada Pension Plan being there. So I want to take us back sort of a history here for a minute, and then we'll sort of come to where we are today in the whole process. So Canada Pension Plan was created in 1966, and back then it was basically a pay-as-you-go, like a Ponzi scheme, where money was put into it, 
by the people, young people that were working Mm -hmm. and that same, then money was taken out of it by those who were retired, Mm -hmm. basically like a Ponzi scheme, right? So as long as enough people were putting money in, people taken out, you're safe. So the problem was, of course, is that you needed enough young people coming into the workforce to be able to sustain the Ponzi scheme. And so what we've found, of course, is that the number of, uh, the number of workers has gone down and the number of retirees have been going up. Mm-hmm. And so the three main causes of that have been um, a decrease in the, uh, the birth rate, right? Mm-hmm. So less people less coming in, yep. uh, an increase in our lifespan. Mm. And one of the other factors is that Canada Pension Plan was actually allowed to lend money to the provinces at a below market rate as a way to improve economic conditions. So mm-hmm. they were making less money than they could on the standard market by lending it out to the provinces. Right. So we had those three factors were really sort of putting a lot of stress on the plan itself. So in 1993, and now, so we're, you know, about six, seven years into the business at mm-hmm. that point, um, the CPP actuary at the time, they realized that the Canada Pension Plan, if it continued at that point, was going to run out by 2015. Mm. So there was wow. less than less than 20 years yeah. uh, available, or just over 20 years available. And so at the time when they looked at it, it said the only way right out of the gate we could fix this is that we'd have to increase the contribution rate to 14.2% of your income from the current rate of 3.6. So almost more than triple, quadruple the rate that they were taking off. So they knew that taxpayers would revolt (laughs) and that was not going to be an option. So uh, at the time, the minister who was in charge of Canada Pension Plan sat down with, and and really they worked together, all levels of government and and all parties worked together. And they basically came up with a 20-year fix to get this thing back on track. And they all agreed to it. So the implementation started, number one, they ramped up the immigration rate. Mm. And there was controversy over this at the time because people were, uh, again, we're losing our jobs. Yeah. You know, what's going on? Why are we have so, many, uh, so much immigration? But we needed those young workers. But the immigration policy changed dramatically from bringing over older people to you had to be young, independent immigrants. Mm. And that was a key factor in terms of increasing the number of workers. Number two was they trimmed benefits. And uh, interesting enough, looking back on it, what they discovered, they, they reduced the Canada Pension Plan disability benefits, and they reduced the, uh, lowered the earnings that were the calculation that were used to determine your Canada Pension Plan benefit as well. So basically, it kind of flew under the radar. Nobody really ever saw that in terms of how much that may have impacted them, mm-hmm. but there clearly was a reduction in some of the benefits. And the third and this was critical, was that the Canada Pension Plan Investment Board was created in 1997. Prior to that, the thing was run by a government agency. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they created an independent body who could now take that capital and invest it properly. Okay. And so the final change was that sort of pay-as-you-go concept where it was only 3.6% was actually increased. They knew they couldn't go to the 14 uh, 14.6% rate, 14.2% rate, but they went up to 9.9% from 1997 to 2003 over that six-year period. They actually almost tripled the amount that we contribute to the Canada Pension Plan. 
that was a big sort of stake in the ground that created sort of more of the solvency into the plan going forward. And and that meant that the the viability of the plan today uh, is about 75 years out. They're looking and there's no issues in terms of you getting your Canada pension plan right. or, or continuing to receive Canada so pension plan. So the baby plan. boomer population moving through. We are like- safe for, for about probably 75 years. Oh, and uh so the question is, you know, am I going to get it? Is it going to happen? Yeah, I guess if the if there are problems in the future, there's probably two tools that might be implemented. One would be um, if they have to increase the contribution rate. That's mm-hmm. a possibility. So would it go from 9.9 to 10.2 or it might be a small increase? Or the other one is they might look at reducing the benefits. And reducing the benefits from Canada Pension Plan would probably come in the form of a reduction. In, it, right now, it's fully indexed to inflation. Mm-hmm. You might see a partial indexing to inflation. So, you know, 80% of the current inflation rate instead of 100% of the current inflation rate. So basically, the CPP is, uh, is safe. It's mm-hmm. going to be there for us. All the boomers are uh, are in good shape. I mean, the, I guess something like a world war, an alien invasion, a global health epide- sure. <laughs> pandemic might yeah. take it take it to its knees. But basically, uh, I guess probably going to be the least of our worries if that happens. <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> it's nice to end off on a positive note. <laughs> there you go. Welcome to 2018. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> we've been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank Thanks, you, Scott. Scott.